1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, where today's episode features a super special guest. I'm your host, Mark Ellison. I am the host of the show this week. My esteemed colleague, the better half of this program, Jacqueline Coley, is doing one of the many things that she does great. She's covering a film festival. She's a Telluride film festival. I don't even know what state that's in, but I know that she's hard at work, not just watching movies. She's reviewing them. She's putting scrutiny towards art, and she's also writing a bunch of articles, and she's doing some interviews, a whole lot of stuff, most of which you can check out at RottenTomatoes.com. I highly encourage everybody to follow her on her adventure to Telluride or really any film festival. Not only is she great at covering it, but if you've ever had the experience of being Jacqueline Coley's plus one at a film festival party, a shindig, hoot nanny you had a good time I know from experience so we're down to jack on this week but we are up like I said a very special guest who has very opinionated takes on many movies not the least of which is the 2007 cult classic I can say hot rod that's what we're talking about this week hot rod starring Andy Samberg and it's a movie I had never seen before And what a trip I was in for. I didn't know the cast was this extensive. I didn't know much about this movie. And I didn't know that people still cared about it to this day. But I should have. Because ever since the movie came out, I've had people from all walks of my life. My comedian friends, my pals from high school, from middle school, from kindergarten. They all shout from the rooftops, how have you not seen Hot Rod yet? And I had never seen it until last night in preparation for this episode. Now, Hot Rod, despite a lot of my friends' love for it, is rotten on the tomato meter. It's 39% rotten. It does recover on the audience score because it's 64%, which is fresh there. So that's some good news for all you hot rodites out there. Let's talk about our guest. It's somebody who you've probably heard of because he is one of the biggest music stars on the planet. Chance the Rapper is here today to talk about Hot Rod and we'll see where the conversation wants to take us because Jacqueline and myself, thanks to our good pal Eric Davis, got to have a Twitter Spaces conversation with Chance the Rapper not too long ago and we talked about a bunch of different movies, including his new concert film, Magnificent Coloring World. It just finished its run here in the States. Very successful two-week engagement in about 80, 85 theaters across the country and now it's expanding to the UK, to Ireland and to Canada starting September 10th And I can just tell you all, you need to see this in a theater. If you have the means, check it out in a theater. You don't want to wait for this one because the stage, the setup... He put so much care and concern and craft into making this self-funded concert film. They taped it a few years ago. It's finally out, and you can check it out. And it is a concert film unlike any other. I've seen a lot of them. I'm a pretty big music fan. Never seen anything close to Magnificent Coloring World. So we're going to talk about that and Hot Rod with Chance the Rapper in just a little bit. But if you're wondering, hey, Mark, I've heard of Hot Rod. I think it's got those Lonely Island guys associated with it. You're right. And let's keep going on that path with what the hell is Hot Rod about? Well, you have this guy who's a stunt performer and he's played by Andy Samberg and he just doesn't have all the luck in the world. His name's Rob Kimball and he just wants to be a stuntman like he thinks his dad was. And not only does he want to be a stuntman for himself and to impress his buddies and a new love interest played by Isla Fisher, he also wants to show his stepdad that he is a man. His stepdad is played by Ian McShane and he's married to Andy Samberg's mom in the film played by... None other than Sissy Spacek. Yes, that's Sissy Spacek, that Ian McShane, are in Hot Rod. You also get Jacqueline Coley's favorite, Bill Hader, one of my favorites, Danny McBride, and a host of other notable Poppins in this movie. It's an adventure. It's a comedy. It's ridiculous. And is it funny? Is it good? Does it stand the test of time some 15 years after its release? Going to talk about that with myself and Chance the Rapper in just a little bit. Producer Lucy's here. Brian Perez, our esteemed engineer, is here. And before we get to Chance, let's go to our expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan, for our segment, where he's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time about Hot Rod, and I don't believe it's going to be all that kind. Tim, it's all yours.
0: Two minutes with Tim. It's a common complaint among critics and audiences that movies from Saturday Night Live alums are often based on premises that might kill as five-minute sketches, but are stretched pretty thin over feature length. And that's pretty much what critics said about Hot Rod, that it had a few big laughs but couldn't sustain much comic momentum. It's also worth noting that more than a few reviewers felt the movie compared unfavorably to one of the best gags from Napoleon Dynamite. It's rotten at 39% on the Tomatometer with a 64% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Peter Debruge of Variety wrote, "Those hoping for feature-length doses of Sandberg's lazy Sunday wit will have to settle for just plain lazy, as Hot Rod aims low and still manages to miss the target." However, in a fresh review, Alonso Duralde of MSNBC wrote, "Hot Rod emerges as a daffy, dorky summer surprise, a silly comedy of non sequiturs that feels like a cockeyed collaboration between Will Ferrell and Mel Brooks." The RT Critics' consensus reads, Hot Rod has brazen silliness and a few humorous set pieces on its side, but it's far too inconsistent to satisfy all but the least demanding slapstick lovers. So that's Hot Rod. Let's kick it back to those death-defying podcast daredevils. Back to you, folks.
1: Thank you, Tim. And yeah, they were not nice to that movie. That may have been one of the reasons why I never waddled my way to the theater to see Hot Rod, despite some nice reviews from my pals, is... um, The critics really did not like this movie. And you had a bunch of other comedies coming out in 2007 that it unfortunately had to compete with. And so a lot of factors against Hot Rod, but it has become a cult classic since then going to talk with Chance the Rapper about that in just a few seconds. But I am hosting the show today, so I should remind you that currently I'm in Las Vegas and I got a couple more dates here at the MGM Grand that y'all can come check out. I'll be in New York at New York Comedy Club and popping into some other places around the Big Apple in October. I also have San Francisco, Arizona, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles, my adopted home, on the schedule. You can get tickets at markellis.live or at whatever comedy club I'm at. Follow me on social media, Most of the answers are right there. But enough about me. Let's talk to one of the biggest stars on the planet. He is Chance the Rapper. I'm just the guy lucky enough to interview him about Hot Rod. And so we are down a Jacqueline Coley who is attending to her very busy duties at the Telluride Film Festival. But we are up our special guest whose movie, Magnificent Coloring World, just finished a very successful national 14 day run at theaters here in the States. And it's going to be releasing in the UK, Ireland, and Canada on September 10th. So everybody who's in our catch up crew in those parts of the world, go check out Magnificent Coloring World because it is an amazing spectacle you should witness on the big screen. And the star and creator of it is right here, right now. Chance the Rapper. Hey! Good to catch up with you again, bud. What a magnificent introduction. Thank you. I mean, you know, I practiced in my mirror for a couple hours this morning. <laughs> and and we had such a fun time connecting on Twitter spaces. So we're like, well, we might as well do it on the podcast because yeah. you are such a a cinephile. And, and you am. can kind of see it with Magnificent Coloring World, how your, your cinematic influences, but you also really were striving to do something different and original. And I think you... I think you hit it out of the park. How does it yeah, feel to have man. that movie come out and have such a great critical reception after its United States run? It's
2: an amazing feeling, man. I I, uh, I, I think you know this. Everybody doesn't necessarily know it. The movie's been around in different uh, formats for a long time. For four years, we shot it in 2017. And uh, it's gone through many edits and many different formats. And, and now it's finally in its finished form. And And I love it, and and you know, like you said, it feels it feels amazing to have a great critical response, and you know, to see the fanfare around it. it It's just really cool completion. I feel very complete.
1: And it feels very fresh, too, because it's not like there's so many times when you when you hear about movies and they were sitting on the shelf for six months or a year and you're like, oh, no, what's going on with this? But no, this this feels like you recorded it yesterday. I mean, it's just got such a such a fresh magnetic energy and the audience is so into it. And the stage is great. I I could talk about this movie all day, but (laughs) before we get into more in-depth stuff, which I do want to get back into with Magnificent Coloring World, we got to talk about this movie that you suggested that we cover on our podcast. I have never seen this movie until I got home from the comedy store late last night. I, <laughs> I'm i not gonna lie, I had uh, a couple beers and I Perfect. watched Hot Rod for the yes. very first time. A so delicacy. Hot Rod right now, it's 39% rotten on the tomato meter. And that does not please the court of Chance the Rapper. It is 60 percent, uh, 64% on the audience score, so that's fresh there. But chance, I imagine your feelings on Hot Rod's tomato meter score. You probably think it's that a travesty. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong.
2: Yeah, it doesn't. It's uh <laughs> doesn't do uh it, it does a disservice to all the work that uh you know Andy Samberg and all those comedic geniuses put into that fine piece of cinema. And uh yes, it it, uh, it upsets me, and
1: it just doesn't feel right. Okay, so why? is the score way too low and what do you think the score for hot rod should be
2: um those are two great questions i'm going to start by answering the easier question that uh the answer is it should be a 100 percent (laughs) uh if not a 101 or a 110 uh it covers all the bases uh it has a great great character arcs for each person in the movie uh you know there's great acting uh from andy sandberg um amongst a, a host of other characters uh i think uh did Will Arnett
1: is in the movie. Will Arnett. The, the cast really impressed me with this movie because yeah. you I knew Andy Samberg was it. I knew it was like a Lonely Island sort of brainchild. But then you have Sissy Spacek is in it. Ian McShane is in it. Danny Fisher. Danny McBride, Bill Hader, who uh, Jacqueline, my, oh, my beloved God. co-host, she is she fawns over Bill Hader every chance she gets. And so she was extra bummed to not get to gush about him with you. We are going to get Jacqueline's thoughts on the movie, too, later on in the show. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the cast is amazing. And just as somebody who, like I said, I'd never seen it before, the good news to report is Rotten Tomatoes is dead wrong about this movie. Because yes. this movie had me from the opening Frame, and I love when comedies can do that. This movie, it just—what was the first time you saw Hot Rod? Tell me about that experience. What 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 that was like? I think I
2: saw Hot Rod not in theaters actually, which um, was doing myself a disservice. I think the first time I saw it was probably I think with my girl, well, with my wife now, but with when my girl, I think, uh, I think the year it came out, we got it like on like on an on demand service, and just felt like we had been gifted. A, a great responsibility and understanding and deciphering, like I said, the comedic genius of Andy Samberg, Dana McBride, Bill Hader, all these great comedic acts put together this movie about following your dreams, about the importance of of uh, of stunt workers and community, and uh, and just all these all these great lessons, and just just uh, it's just a it's just a great experience to to see the movie, and I think it's inspired by some some of the great. Cinematic accomplish, accomplishments of the 20th century: Godfather and Casino and uh, Citizen Kane. Just the, it's in a it's in the pantheon of of um, of amazing cinematic accomplishments. And when we saw it for the first time, we just couldn't help but appreciate it.
1: You know what Wait, I mean? Did somebody recommend it to you? Did did, did somebody turn you and say did, did you have to see this movie, or was it just you're just kind of scrolling what's on VOD and you found Hot Rod? Do you believe in divinity? You believe in I get uh, destiny?
2: Yeah, I can get yeah. there. That's how I. That's how I found it. It was kind of just like my thumb just kept pressing, and I was like, <laughs> I think I saw what I what I needed already, but I just kept going. And then you see Andy on that on that uh, and with the cape and everything, and it just feels like it feels like it's kind of calling you.
1: Yeah, the fake mustache got me, but so I love when comedies let you know exactly what you're in for for the duration of the movie within the first frame. So I think about another movie that came out in 1994, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. The first time we saw Jim Carrey, that first scene of him working for HDS and he's delivering a package and he's just being Jim Carrey on the street. It's exactly what the rest of that movie's gonna feel like. So you're either in or you're out right from the start. And with Hot Rod, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just that opening sequence where we see him attempting this stunt and it just goes horribly, horribly wrong. I was already laughing. I do this thing now, this old man thing, where if I sit down and something tickles me, and I'm in my apartment, it's just me and the dog. I slap my knee, and yeah. that continued to happen throughout the rest of Hot Rod. I That's was. What the movie I fell is. in love with it.
2: It's a knee slapper.
1: It's yeah.
2: a. Uh, it's a. It's a old punch in the gut belly laugh. You know, it's a lot of slapstick. Also, so you can tell that they were influenced by the greats, the Charlie Chaplins of the world. There's a whole scene in the movie. I think it lasts for probably no less than six minutes of Andy Sandberg falling down a mountain. Yeah. And very little dialogue. Uh, it's just him falling. One of the greatest scenes in any movie of
1: all time. We have a great researcher here on the show that uh, his name's Mark Hoffmeyer. And I think that he tabulated that scene lasts over like 43 seconds of just pure pure falling and then you have that scene then you also have the scene that my mom is going to love because my mom's one of my mom's favorite like uh, terms to quote is cool beans cool beans and the cool scene, i can't Great editing. play it for it's one of the best scenes in the movie
2: yeah no by far cool cool beans it's just a the movie is non-stop i feel like that's like you know they, there's there's movies that you go to because they have a singular great scene or great dialogue. There's movies that you go to because there's a twist ending. There's movies that, you know, you go to because there's an overall message. But I like entertaining movies. You know what I mean? Something that, that grips me from the moment that I get in and all the way through the satisfying end. And that's what Hot Rod is.
1: You yeah, know? And I like how you describe this movie. It's really hitting you on two different levels. Where it hits your funny bone for sure, but then it also is... Somewhat of an inspiration. I mean, if you're going to embark on a career like yours, you it's it, it's you, you're taking a big risk. You're yeah. you, you're you're sacrificing what a lot of people would consider to be a normal line of life because you have this dream that you want to chase. So, w- what is a scene in Hot Rod for you that typifies that 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 goes? A, it it could be comedic for sure, but it's that scene where you say, "Oh no, this guy's a dreamer," you know, chasing after a lifelong goal, just like I am. There's a scene where uh,
2: where Andy is uh, Andy's character is is getting ready to to jump the pool. I think it is, and uh, and he enlists the help of like his team and also this this really weird guy that likes to like hump the air. I don't know really what his deal is, but he enlists like these this this community of misfits to to help him hand to hand pass out flyers and promote this 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 crazy jump that's going to be like the pinnacle of his career so far.
0: Hey. Denise, hey. Looks exciting. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, no, that's cool. I think my crew's got it pretty much covered, so. Good luck. Don't worry, Denise. I've done this before.
2: And it's and it's hilarious and it's edited well and it's and it, and like I said, it just hits these beats of continuous, you know, laughter. But it also really reminds me of how it was in the beginning. Like I come from I come from open mics. I come from talent shows. I'm ai come from radio contests like I'm the type of dude that like. I didn't find out that I was like, that I wanted to start rapping. And two weeks later, I got famous, you know, like I wanted to be a rapper since I was probably 11 years old, since Kanye West dropped the college dropout. And so since then I was writing rap since I was 14, I was going to studios. And, you know, when it comes to, to doing, to, to, to doing an event to like, whether it's a talent show that you're selling tickets for, or your own show that you're selling tickets for, you're trying to promote, it's like, It always comes down to you having like a small group of people around you that are weirdos and misfits that actually believe that you could be something and and them going around and putting their actual sweat and energy and hard work into promoting you. And I just always was like, that's me. You know, I'm right.
0: The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe.
1: Such an enlightening take on that pool scene because watching it last night, the scariest thing about that <laughs> scene for me is not that he's going to attempt this stunt that he's going to try to jump a pool. It's that he invited the, the whole town is there and this is everybody that he knows because right. I come from the world of doing open mics as far as doing stand up goes, but I had the luxury being a comic where. I was in North Carolina at the time. I drove to Atlanta to do my first slew of open mics because I did not want anybody that I knew <laughs> to be there in the crowd. I wanted to do it for strangers because if you bomb in front of strangers, they'll they'll forget the next day. If you bomb in front of your friends, they're gonna let you know the rest of your life. Did you have that luxury? <laughs> I imagine if you're if you're do if, if you're a, a musician, if you're in a studio, you and you have a crew, you probably have people that if you don't do well your very first time out, they're gonna let you know about it. Oh, totally. Yeah.
2: And that's that's what uh, Danny McBride's character is there for. He's kind of like, this shit sucks.
1: That's like his, that's his, where he's at the whole movie. It's he's, he's one of my, like Danny McBride is just one of those guys that just, he has the direct line to my funny bone and he just makes me laugh. Even when he's not the star of the scene, there's a scene about halfway through the movie where Andy... And and Iowa Fisher are sort of connecting, but then Will Arnett's character shows up for the first time, and in the background they're outside a convenience store, and <laughs> in the in the background Bill Hader and Danny McBride are dancing. It's the <laughs> funniest thing.
2: Yeah, and Danny McBride's like slamming the, the brother into like the the car and stuff, and he's just like.
0: Hey. So, how do you like being in the crew so far? It's been interesting. Told you.
2: Hey, Denise. Hmm? There's something I wanted to ask you.
0: Yeah? Well, I couldn't help but notice that we've both matured a lot physically. And I was just wondering if maybe... Hey, Rod, what's that song called about the grandma getting run over by a reindeer?
2: He has a, a, another great scene. Well, they're, they're all great in the scene where, uh, where they're first meeting uh, Isla Fisher's character and they go around in a circle they're supposed to introduce themselves rod starts off hi i'm rod and i like to party and each person afterwards says their name and then says that they like to party i'm pretty sure danny's character goes i'm rod and i like to party (laughs) it's just a good it's just a great scene
0: hey everybody got some awesome news we have a new crew member today denise hi everyone so i thought it'd be fun if we all went around and said our name and a little something about ourselves i'll start my name is Rod, and I like to party. All right, Dave, you're up. Uh, hi, uh,
1: my name is Dave, and uh, I like to party.
0: Uh, no, Dave, I just said that I party, so maybe do something different for me.
2: My name is Dave, and I am the stunt man.
1: You know what? Let's move on. Rico, you're up. Uh, hello, I'm Rico, and
0: I like to party. Yeah, uh, Rico, what did I just say to Dave? Who? Dave! I like to party, I'm Rod. No, you're Kevin. Right, Kevin.
2: Everything in the movie, I swear to you, for anyone that hasn't seen it and is, and is being repelled from seeing it by seeing this, this terrible score that it received, please watch this movie. Please do yourself a favor and the people around you a favor and call a movie night, an emergency meeting movie night, and share this joy with each other.
1: I think it warrants that level. I think it is an emergency. Now, your friends are probably gonna think that you're having an intervention for you or something, but they're not. They just really It's want a bit you to- of an intervention. It is an intervention in a way, because if you haven't seen Hot Rod, and again, I'm the last guy to jump on this train or dirt bike as the case may be, and tell y'all that it is one of the it's one of the funniest movies that I've seen. And one of Thank the reasons you. why is because the entire cast from Andy all the way down, is just so note-perfect in it. Besides Andy Samberg's lead character, who is the character that you were like, "That's, that's my person in this movie? That's
2: a good question. I think the next person down is probably Rod's stepfather. Yes. So there's like this B story going on the whole time. One of the things that's driving Rod to... To do all of this in this limited amount of time, he's trying to prove himself as uh, as a real stunt man, and, and not just as a real stunt man. That's actually the key to it: as a real man, because his mother's new husband is dying of uh, I can't even remember uh, an unknown sickness. Um,
1: but he's every, got a bad heart. We he's got to get heart. him a new heart.
2: He's got to get a new heart. It's been a little while since I've seen the movie, but you could tell it's pretty fresh on my mind. The uh, <laughs> it's, it's,
1: <laughs> he, uh... it's sometimes when we do movies, it's like I, I've never seen them. Sometimes like Hot Rod, but then there's other times I've seen the movie so many times. We actually did Ace Ventura on this show a while back, and like I didn't have to rewatch that movie. I, it's, yeah. it's just it's in there. <laughs> yeah, Ian McShane as the as the stepfather. Is, is, it is it is one of those B storylines that does permeate the rest of the movie because you're pulling for... He's the he's sort of the impetus for me to root for Andy Samberg's character even more because you want him to prove it. But Ian McShane is so perfect in that movie because he's this classically trained actor. And so he never gets to the point where you actually hate him you enjoy the scenes, but he's not like (laughs) just this wicked stepmother from Cinderella that you hope get their comeuppance. You actually just want him to, you want both of them to come together as a family.
2: No, it's very carefully acted. The, the, the cool thing is that Andy hates his stepdad, uh, but he also still wants to honor and impress his, his stepdad. So there's a scene where, uh, I think, uh, the stepfather like calls him like calls him close to his ear and tells him he's still a pussy or something like that. <laughs> and Andy turns around and and, uh, and like screams in his face, something along the lines of like, I need you to get better so I can beat your ass. It's like I can't remember what he said, but something along the lines of like, don't die because I need to beat the shit out of you. And so it's a really cool, you know, dynamic between the two of them, because it's like you said, you 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 know, you don't you're not rooting for the stepdad, but you want him to stay healthy, healthy enough. So that Rod can beat the dog shit out of him.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm just trying to think back on like all the stunts in this movie because there you do have to give a, a major props to the stunt crew that worked on this movie because they pull off some stuff. It's supposed to not go well, and the scene at the end where he's trying to jump all these these buses, it's it, it like it, it's a real stunt, and and it plays from a stunt standpoint, but also a comedic standpoint. Did you have one favorite stunt, big or small, that you're like, that is, that's what, you can tell the care that they put into making this movie. Yeah,
2: there's a scene when they're going, when uh when Rod is going down this hill on a, on like a, I think it's like a boogie board or something. It might be a, it might be a small like a, uh, like car, makeshift car that they put together. But I just remember he's going down this hill um, on this really poorly engineered vehicle of some sort. And spoiler, he loses fucking control. And 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 <laughs> fucking face plants as hard as you possibly can into the side of this bus. It looks like Andy did that shit. Like to me, the, you know, the the scene of him going down is just like probably like a a, a dolly on the board or whatever like when they're going down the the hill and it looks like he's going really fast. But it could, you know, it could be whatever. He could be any place when he hits the bus, though. You you feel it as an audience member. And again, I was talking about those those gut wrenching belly laughs where you're just like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, I can't believe I just saw this happen. That was one of those moments for me. And then the scene just ups to Annie after that Danny Bride beats the shit out of this random dude. Like, it's just like, it, like I said, it, it's a continuous laugh. What was the, what was the rating again on this? Uh, it's un- unfortunately critic,
1: it is 39% rotten. Yeah. And so
2: I hate to do this, but let's just cross reference for a second. Another movie, right? There's another movie that was released in the, I think it was in the late 90s. It might have been early 2000s, but I'm almost 100% sure. Late 90s. Written, directed, and starring Warren Beatty. It's a film
1: called Bullworth. Yeah. He's a politician. Yeah. Do you remember Bullworth? I remember hearing about Bullworth and it being this sort of touchstone movie, but I don't know that I ever actually saw Bullworth but I'm I'm looking it up right now and so yeah. I'm going to give you the Rotten Tomatoes score for Rotten Tomatoes let's see the do score you, on Bullworth do, do you think it's a fresh movie on Rotten Tomatoes What's let's your not prediction? let's
2: not ruin it yet let's find out first what what our what, what what it's clocking in at for our critical reception and then I will and then and then I'll I'll spoil it for you all right here's your number for Bullworth one more time, just a refresher for the what what were we at on Hot Rod? Was
1: that 37%? 39%. 39% rotten rating. And Bullworth almost doubles it because Bullworth is certified fresh, 76% on the tomato meter. Okay. And now I will tell you guys it's probably it's probably the worst movie ever made
2: across across every metric. Um Anybody that sees this movie, you know, should know, even if it was the 90s, no excuse, that this is possibly the most trash piece of cinema ever put together. It excels in racism. It's got, it's it's got, it's flying colors in in racism, terrible dialogue, shot horrifically, acted terribly from some great actors. Warren Beatty, I still respect you, I guess um Halle Berry or one of the greatest actresses uh of any time first black woman to ever win uh Academy Award but it's also like I said one of the worst acted movies in the world and that's probably because it has objectively the worst worst fucking script I've ever ever seen put together by human hands I don't know who wrote it down I hope they're in prison
1: this is, like, this is like two shows in one because we get your take. You get Rotten Tomatoes as being wrong because they're rotten on Hot Rod. And then Rotten Tomatoes has the certification of Bullworth being fresh. And you think that's wrong too. I don't want to exclusively give the blame to Rotten
2: because Rotten wasn't around, I don't think, no, when this movie came out. A, it's just a it's scoreboard. It's an aggregator, it's yeah. Scoreboard. They pulled together the critical reception, but they also pulled together the audience reception. What was the audience reception on this on this travesty.
1: It's a little higher than Hot Rod. It's 68% to Hot Rod 64%. So I do like seeing the jump from Hot Rod getting the uh, finding its audience and Bullworth not quite as warm with the audience as it was with the critics. I'm still disappointed in all 68% of you. <laughs>
2: um, what the fuck happened with this film? I'll give you guys, just because there's some people who have never even seen Bullworth, they're like, why is this guy trashing this movie? It's probably great. I'll give you a short analysis of the movie. The movie is about this guy who's, uh, you know, basically on his way to becoming president. He's a uh, this older white guy that's that's very removed, and but has been known to be a democratic and more progressive politician over the years. And it starts off the movie, the movie opens with like a, uh, you know, this pan across his dresser of Photoshop's fig- pictures of him with MLK and Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and stuff like that. But over time, he's become more cold and more conservative. And he basically uh, hires a hitman to kill him so he can get some insurance money for his for his family. And then I don't really remember what it is, what's the catalyst, if he hits his head or if he watches a rap music video. But for the rest of the film, Warren Beatty um, employs a, a black scent, which is a black accent for people that don't know and delivers all the rest of his dialogue in rhyming raps that are extremely condescending to all black people. It's one of the most heinous things to ever happen on camera for an hour and a half. It's so disturbing when you watch it, you will not believe that this is a real movie.
1: I remember it I remember when it came out. I remember when, when the movie came out and Tell me, a lot of I wasn't... critics were were celebrating it because they felt like this was this you know movie that that that, that crossed crosses cultures and and it's going to be this uniting bridge of a movie. But it seems like it's one of those films that maybe it didn't hit with everyone at the time. And when you look at it 20 years later, you're like, what were we doing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We should build a time machine and go back to them and tell them that <laughs> racism didn't stop because of this movie. It actually right. got worse. And uh and, and and Warren Beatty, we should go back and, and catch him in the act of patting himself on the back after the movie was released and grab his arm and say, don't you dare pat that fucking back. This is the worst thing to ever happen to anybody. And yeah, I just hope that, I hope that even just through this discussion that somehow, somehow my my takedown of the movie goes viral and we can start to see clips, you know, reemerge from the movie just so that people can, can, can feel this dialogue that I had to, that I had to watch and that I've, you know, put other people through just to show them an example of what not to do when discussing race in film. But I say all that to say the critical consensus on a movie can be wrong when, when, when aggregated. The, the, the audience is very uh, receptive to whatever, to a lot of times, to what the critics have to say, because sure. that's a lot of times their first impression of the movie and you know rule of thumb you might not want to write direct and star in a movie because then who's <laughs> telling you that this is terrible
1: you need someone to say no this You is need not at a least good idea
2: feel <laughs> fill in one of those those categories with somebody else
1: yeah we always, we always get mad at studios when they meddle in movies that we think are going to be masterpieces but we never give the studios credit when they step in and say hey Warren, babe, maybe just star in this and let somebody else <laughs> figure out what the movie's gonna be yeah. about. Or burn because, this film. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, we should go back. We'll go back further than than Bullworth. We'll go back to like the early '90s when he was making Bugsy, and we'll let him mm-hmm. make Bugsy, and then we'll be like, "All right, dude, you're knocking this out of the park." Just there's this Bullworth movie. Just don't even don't even look at it. It's gonna be Crash before Crash was a thing. <laughs> this, but this it is, is the first this, Crash. It was the first, it was it was Crash Zero. It was Patient Zero for Crash. <laughs> but that's why we have the show. I mean, that's why basically what I'm hearing from you is that Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong should have been around as a radio program on NPR or something in the 90s where we yes. could have talked about. All we could have these saved. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> but saved this so is not the less. limit of your, of your opinions on movies because look, I told everybody listening and watching, Chance is a huge movie fan. You also. I believe came on our Rotten Tomatoes radar initially, not because of Bullworth or because of Hot Rod. The House is another comedy that you love that is, it's Chance, I hate to say this, it's 20% on the tomato meter. What's going on with that? (sighs) That movie is
2: worth, I don't know how many Bullworths. Actually, I don't even want to put it in Bullworths because
1: (laughs) those are negative points so right right more if bullwurst, you get something you have five worse. bullwurst that means it was like super super offensive yeah no it was uh it's just a, it's a good movie I don't I don't I wouldn't call it the greatest
2: comedy of all time like I would Hot Rod or some you know some of the other greats but it was one of those bottom of the barrel movies that I just happened to find you know I damn near found it on DVD and I was like when did Amy Poehler and Will Ferrell star in a movie together? I never heard of this thing even happening. And I watched it, and I didn't just enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was a cool idea. I thought it was a funny contained film. You know, the it's it's um, it deals with something real, which is families trying to figure out how in the fuck they're going to pay for their kids to go to college and does all these cool contrasts. Of, you know what the ideal suburban life is versus like what people will do to to take care of their kids, and it's it's really really funny. But I also found out that there's like just since we're talking about the formula of Rotten Tomatoes, there's a lot of politics that that go into any industry, but definitely the movie industry. And I actually have read before that critics expect a a certain structure and certain formalities when it comes to reviewing a film. One of those key things being invited for special pre pre-screeners or advanced screenings that are private and for the critics so that the critics can have a preview of the movie along with a review of the movie before it hits theaters. And I read that the house didn't hold any screenings for the critics um, and that they saw it at the same time as regular audiences and that that, that might have had something to do with it getting 20%, because how else do you give this movie
1: 20%? I have never seen the movie, full disclosure, because there were no pre-screenings for it. I remember that. I was on the road in Houston the movie the, the day the movie came out, and and I was working the improv there, and there was just no time for me during the day because I was sleeping late and waking up to write and then go do the shows. So I never got a chance to see the house, but it's an interesting comparison to Hot Rod, simply because you're talking about a bunch of Saturday Night Live stars of the last two decades, right? You have Amy yeah. Poehler, Will Ferrell in the house, and then you have Andy Samberg and yeah. Bill Hader and company in Hot Rod. Do you have a favorite, like an all-time favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Who would be like your your murderer's row of SNL performers past and present? You start off with Kenan Thompson
2: because okay. he's the reason why the show's been successful in the past uh, 13 years. You give flowers to Tatiana Fay, Amy Poehler, Kristen Wieg, uh Maya, Fred, uh, that the whole like uh 20 like 2007 through 2014 cast is just phenomenal and then all my friends that are at SNL now and that that have been there and left uh Beck Bennett shit. You know, I mean like it's the whole thing is like everybody m- m- a lot a- a- I would say the vast majority of people that, that work at SNL at some point become comedy legends. So mm-hmm. like, I'm not saying any of that to like, you know, to skip over Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, yeah. fucking all all, 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 there's all these legends obviously from the seventies and eighties that are just, you know, forever legends. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the cat I started going on SNL when I was 22. I'm twenty. I'm twenty-eight now.
1: Yeah, and I was so, gonna say you performed on SNL, right? Yeah. So I've, I've done what, SNL. What's that experience like? Do, because it, we we kind of know what it's like because we've heard the stories of hosting SNL, where you're an actor and you show up and you go through and and you have you kind of pair off with some writers and they write some stuff for you. As far as being the musical guest on the show, what, what is that experience like? What's that week like? Is it just one long whirlwind? Yeah. Well, I mean.
2: For me, I'm a, I'm a real fan of SNL. Like I've been that way since I was probably eight years old because my cousin had a video recording of MC Hammer being the guest performer as well as the guest host. Speaking and so, of, too legit yeah. to quit. And- yeah. 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 Too legit. <laughs> <and not> too <laughs> legit to quit. I, he, uh, he was the first person that I had seen do the show. And so in my mind, it was always like, when I get on the show, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, be the musical guest, but I'm also going to be the host, you know, and there's a lot of like, you know, it's a historical institution. They have ways of, of like, you know, you go through different things. So I started off, I, I just performed. And I think the next time, next time I came, I just performed. Then my third time coming because I had been begging Lauren and I had been, you know, when you're the musical guest, that was a good question. You don't really come to the, to the building. You're not at 8H except for on Thursday. Friday and Saturday for the actual taping. But when you're the host, you're there the whole week. So for, I've known that because I have SNL books. So for my first time coming, I would try and basically break into the building from the Sunday <laughs> that they start. And the first time I came there, I met uh, a still a good friend of mine, um, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. Um, and we met on Twitter or whatever. I was like, yo, I'm in New York, I'm just trying to come up there. And he let me into the building, it was a Monday. So uh, artists are not supposed to be there. And I ended up kicking it with him, uh, uh, Keenan, and um, and Leslie um, mm-hmm. in their room, just like smoking weed and just like hearing stories and understanding like how the whole thing works and kind of just like plotting on how I'm going to get on the show in a meaningful way. Not to say that being a musical guest isn't extremely meaningful. It's like there's a huge, you know, legacy to that. But like I said, like I love I'm from Chicago. I used to do improv. I, you know, I, I, you know, Chicago is kind of, you know, that's where they get all of these people from. A lot of these people start off in Second City and then they move and they get picked up for, for SNL. So yeah,
1: most SNL legends that people know started at Second City in Chicago, right? Literally right around you. Exactly. So, like, I always had the dream of, you know,
2: everybody from Chicago thinks they're funny. So I always wanted to be a comedian. I always <laughs> wanted to, you know, eventually do comedic acting and like do something so from the jump i'm like man i want to be on the show so i basically met them um i tried to come in a couple more days that week and i remember famously getting told like they don't want you to come up here (laughs) because you're just the musical guest next time i came i did the same thing and i actually ended up being in a random sketch i had like one line i said something about like uh i got frankincense and myrrh
1: that's what that was my line uh, on you're doing doing a run on the wise man yeah, exactly. I was on the I was I was one of the three wise men. So it's the only I, thing it's the only thing people know from frankincense and myrrh. It's like, oh well, they gotta be talking about the wise men. That's literally I've never heard of those two substances outside
2: of that context. I didn't even know what they were until I did the sketch. So like I basically <laughs> wedged my way in there, shoehorned my way into the into a sketch, and they liked my stuff. They said I had Hutzpah, I had the the, you know, what it takes. And the next time I came up there. Uh, Lauren asked me to be the host no musical guest spot and that and, and I learned how grueling that schedule really is because they they shoot at least two sketches are usually taped so they're on location mm-hmm. and it's usually freezing or just like at the ass crack of dawn or at the in the middle of the night that you're shooting and then you know there's constant rehearsals constant writing um but when I came up there because I was so excited I wrote five sketches uh ahead of time that me and my, my writing partner Reese put together and three of them actually made it to taping and two of them actually aired. And wow. yeah, you came so prepared. I came I came super prepared. I, like I said, I came from I used to do improv. I used to, you know, a lot of my friends did Second City yeah. and um and so like I've always loved, you know, writing and and, and especially comedic writing. So we had one sketch that was um just funny, just a dumb idea was just this idea of, uh, you know, Steve Harvey has uh, uh, in the sketch. Steve Harvey has an illegitimate son that comes on with a with a with a, <laughs> a white family. He's a, a, and uh, and Steve Harvey over the course of the of the episode recognizes that it's his illegitimate son. It's 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 funny in like an impression kind of way. I'm doing yeah. an impression of Keenan's impression of Steve Harvey, and that played really well. And then the other one was a little smarter. It was, uh, it was funny actually. I helped from Donald Glover on right, and the other one was uh, Wayne Thanksgiving. So it's uh, <laughs> Bruce Wayne is hosting a a, a Thanksgiving turkey giveaway, and uh, <laughs> and all the people that come in, you know, because he's so wealthy and powerful, they're like, oh yeah, thank you for the for the turkey, but we want to talk to. Could you do something about Batman? He's a menace. <laughs> he's just brutalizing <laughs> random civilians. It's like I I did the the smallest petty crime and he beat the shit out of me and hung me from a gargoyle. And each That's person that so comes funny. in, they're like, and he's, you know, obviously you get the joke. It's, it's funny. And, 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 obviously like the writers at SNL are actually tenured genius legends. So they, you know, they punch up the script and make it into like a real thing that could
1: work on camera. Yeah, they're second to none. I mean, that, that whole production, that whole week, It's I, I imagine it gives you a better perspective, too, to appreciate something like Hot Rod simply because you see the world that Andy Samberg was operating in, that Bill Hader was operating in, and it's you got to come up with all these great ideas, and they have to be ready to go in five days. And yeah. so with Hot Rod, it's like, well, this is a piece of cake. Give us a little bit of money. Give us a, some budget, and we can make something that's going to be a meaningful, lasting, comedic hit even though the movie tanked at the box office, it's got this cult following yeah. because everybody like you who stumbles upon it on VOD just ends up falling in love with it and now, you know, the 10, 11, 12 years on, we're still talking about Hot Rock because there's a lot of comedies that came out that year that sort of overshadowed it. And you yeah. had because you had these like the advent of like uh, Superbad came out around that year. You had Uh, I think Talladega Nights was around there. Borat was around that time. So you had movies that were sort of overshadowing it because they were box office sensations. But I mean, for my money, I was talking about this before you came on with our production team, Brian and Lucy. Like they just, Hot Rod is just one of those movies that has just been in their lexicon and they still consider it a classic.
2: Yeah, it's it's different from all those other movies. I don't know if Adam McKay worked on that movie too, but it's different from those because of Andy's brand of comedy, like I, I don't know if you ever, if you're familiar with the movie Pop Star, have you ever seen Pop Star? Never stop, never yeah. stopping. Never stop, never stopping. Like he's just ridiculous. Or have you ever seen his uh, his commencement speech at? Uh, I don't think it was Harvard. It was like Princeton or Yale
1: or something like that. But yeah. Uh, oh no, he did go. It was at Harvest. I mean, it was at Harvard. <laughs> I, remember, and, uh, I remember hearing about. That. I don't know if I've ever watched the whole thing, but it's probably on YouTube. I should catch that. He's a genius. He's hilarious, and. I'm pretty sure he's, uh,
2: I'm pretty sure that he's married to, um, why am I forgetting her name right now? Joanna Newsom, who's also a genius. He just has a baller lifestyle. Do you and, ever,
1: uh, have you ever been approached about collabing with with Lonely Island at all? I mean, if, it, you know, it, it seems like y'all would get along great. You got an improv background. You're both, you know, you have, the, you have music. Yeah, no, if I was ever a, a approached by them, you would know because there'd be a song, there'd be a series of songs
2: <laughs> and collab mixtapes and stuff going on. No, it's just a Rod de- sequel. <laughs> I would, oh my God, I would do it in a second. I actually tried out, I actually auditioned for the role that Chris Redd plays in Pop Star. And I didn't really? know that it was, I didn't know that it was an Andy Sandberg movie. I didn't know what what was really going on. They kind of just give you uh, your sides and you go in and read for a part and you hear it's a comedy. But I'm glad Chris Redd got it because he played it completely different than I would have. And he's hilarious. And he's also from Chicago.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I would, and Tim I would, Meadows. Tim Meadows to me. You talk about SNL legends that, that are underrated. Tim Meadows was the glue for that show for a long time. He steals that movie. He steals Popstar for me.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's uh he's he does the same thing in um another uh music mockumentary or fake biopic uh Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I don't know what that has on Rotten Tomatoes. That's possibly one of the funniest movies to ever be made and it's another movie where Tim Meadows steals the show he's uh I met him at SNL like I think the last time that I did it this this past time was I finally did Double Duty which is uh you know there's I think less than 25 people that have done it it's uh the the act of of hosting and 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 being a guest uh music performer and it's an unbelievable work week you can't imagine but uh Tim Meadows came out to see me do that and I got to meet him and it was one of the coolest things. Now, just to go back, I'm sure that people are going to shit on who I picked as like my SNL legends. Everyone from SNL is a legend. You know, even the people that were only on for a couple of episodes all go on to do amazing things. Yeah, you
1: got to you. You were on the legacy show. You you had an impact and I have great news for you as because I do want to ask you about Magnificent Color, the coloring world before we got to get out of here. Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Chance, we finally did it. It's certified fresh. There we go. On, it is 74% on the tomato meter, so we... Some things we'll, are we'll undeniable. Tackle, we'll tackle Bullworth. We'll tackle the house. We'll tackle Hot Rod. But Walk Hard, congratulations. We do not have any beef with Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> over your movie. And it doesn't seem like the folks are divided about your movie that, once again, just fi- uh, finished It's it, I think it was in theaters here for... For two weeks and it was in over 80 theaters nationwide and now it's gonna make its way around the world which is just so exciting it's magnificent coloring world it's gonna be in the uk and ireland and canada releasing on september 10th check it out on the big screen i cannot encourage y'all enough to do that because this is uh, tell us about the i I hate starting like this but tell us about the stage because the stage is such a cool selling point and is such a a thing to witness in a movie theater
2: yeah, the stage was the first idea. I think that's what actually the two first ideas was. One was sound. I had seen a lot of concert films or had concert films in like a audio format, like a you know, like a the CD of a of a of a live concert. And the audio of the stage is amazing, but the audi- like the audience sound isn't really there except for in between songs. You can hear a little bit of claps, but like you know, hearing like a it sounds like a small 100% audience clapping when they're like in a stadium. And it's just right. because they don't, <laughs> you know, there's, there's not the intention of actually recording the audience and how loud they sound when they scream or how loud they sound when they sing together as like an army of voices. And you witness that in a real live show, but you don't get that most of the time in, in concert films. So the first thing that I thought about was how do we mic up the audience? The second thing was staging because the audience is always parallel to the stage. Their eyes are always fixed in one way. And I thought about the idea of doing a multi-stage concert, which, you know, made me start thinking about lighting and made me think about really the most important thing is how do you keep everyone engaged? What's going on on these stages that makes it, makes it different? And so I designed this, this stage format, which was five stages in a semicircle. Like Think of like a U almost, and then if you turn that, you could turn that U into a D if you put a long row of bleachers at the other side. So there's like a hollow middle of it where that's basically camera world where I could shoot all the angles that I needed was like a nine camera shoot. And then basically I just needed a way to, 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 once I make my rounds, not have to run all the way back around. So I, I had the idea to make a, a stage like a floating stage, a, a, a basically a dolly stage where there's a camera fixed, and I could just step onto this dolly and go from the stage that's to the farthest left all the way across to the stage that's the farthest right, and kind of just like, you know, intentionally made each stage kind of represent a a piece of my music. So I don't want to give away the whole thing, because I know there's people that still haven't got to see it, especially overseas, but it's a really cool...
1: It's unique. Yeah. It's inventive, because I remember when when you and I got a chance to chat with on on Twitter, spaces. We, You mentioned that you'd seen so many documentaries and concert films and you were inspired by them, but it also does show you what not to do from, a, from an audience miking standpoint. But then also it just gives you an idea to say, well, what I'm thinking has never been done before because it is an experience that you've never had when you go see a concert film. And so it's it's fresh and it's unique. And the fact that I didn't even realize that the journey from the, the taping to Theaters had been for years, but it, it it was really well worth it because there's a lot of people that have talent, but the you can tell how much you care about your audience and them getting to witness it the way that you saw it in your head.
2: Totally, yeah. I mean, like that's the that's the joy of being an artist is like you get to create new things and get to speak to people in a in the way that you want to, like in a in a you know beautiful way to you and. I have always loved film. I think before I even knew I loved music, I loved movies, as we all do. Everybody, especially if you're a 90s kid, just like we're glued to the TV. And I, you know, above all, love the theater experience. And so the idea of being able to bring people out of their house to a movie, to my music, engineered and perfected audibly, but then on top of that, shot by Jake Schreyer, who's my favorite director, and then and then like I said, getting them to come out the house and experience it on a giant screen with this, you know, true surround sound. Because surround sound in your house is not real. <laughs> that's a whole I could just that's a whole thing. But uh being in the position that I'm in, being an independent artist, somebody that owns their masters and you know, just having the autonomy that I do, I was able to do something that hadn't been done before i was able to to fully create from its inception a concert film a real movie and get it into
1: the realest theater chain in the world you know and yeah and now it's all over And now it's going to go all over the world now it's it's going global and and i'm telling you this because we're sort of marrying the two movies that we're really here to talk about today i had seen your movie first and then i saw hot rod the next time you do one of these chants, I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility to have Andy Samberg jump a bunch of buses like right in the middle of the show. We could combine Hot Rod and Magnificent Coloring World into one giant spectacle and call it Hot Rod 2. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to do it
2: because that would be a spoiler and I want you to experience it in the theaters and say, have you seen that meme? It's from, uh, it's from, uh, damn, I can't even remember the name of the last, Tarantino movie, but there's oh, like from, a meme. uh Once upon a time, and once Hollywood. upon a time in Hollywood. Oh there's yeah, like yeah. When meme. when Leo's
1: uh, pointing. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's gonna be you in
1: the theater when you see that that dirt bike go from one stage to the other. Hey, no no royalties necessary. Just do me a favor and come back on the show whenever you got beef with another to. movie or the tomato meter, more specifically, as far as way too high, way too low. A couple quick questions before you get out of here. What's because I know you're 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 big on your hometown Chicago. What's like the best movie about Chicago that you've ever seen. What's a Chicago movie everybody needs to check out?
2: Alright, I'm just going to shoot from the hip instead of taking a long time, because I'll take forever thinking about this. I have so many Chicago movies. The first one, that, the one that I would say that people might not all agree with, but I'm going to just throw it out there, Barbershop. The entire yeah. Barbershop series, actually. Ice Cube wrote and direct. Oh, actually, I don't think he directed I think it's Malcolm, Malcolm D. Lee. But Amazing movie with a lot of heart and it's not so Chicago centric that it feels phony or forced. It's just a movie where there's like little pieces of dialogue, there's a scene where where uh where Ice Cube uh picks up Ricky when Ricky's about to go kill somebody, I think, and uh he pulls over on the side of a bridge and Ricky throws his gun in, into the uh, into the river right before they go see uh Lester Wallace. Yeah. And when Ice Cube is trying to, like, you know, give him the speech and convince him to give up the life of crime, it sounds corny when I remember it, but, like, it it was, there's just this little line where he says, uh, where where Ricky's getting in the car, and uh, he's like, what you doing with that? You gonna throw your life away? And Ricky goes, man, whatever, just drop me off on 79th. I'm from 79th. When I hear people say that, it's like, especially in a movie, it just gives you, you get a little feeling. And I just think it was just like, you know, (laughs) It's just a real movie. There's so many there's a lot of movies though, you know, Cooley High. What's another great movie? Yeah, you about just want Chicago?
1: that authentic Chicago feel because you can go you can go Ferris- as far Bueller- as back as Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Ferris Bueller's Day Off has all the hallmarks. You got the Sausage King of Chicago, you got Wrigley Field in there, Blues Brothers. I mean, there's there's a bunch of Chicago movies, but Barbershop is maybe the most important movie for the success of standalone ATMs because it taught everybody who thought about <laughs> stealing one how hard it actually is to get the money out of them. So it's really not worth your time. Super real than ATM. The uh, Anthony Anderson and
2: um, I can't remember Lawrence Tate's brother's name, but they're they're uh, they're trying to carry the uh, the it's great ATM up the stairs and they do and and then they wait for somebody and then they're coming back down the stairs and the fat dude is trying to.
1: Up the stairs. I'm not gonna ruin the movie for you. No spoilers. It's just it's a, a great running gag throughout yeah. Barbershop, and then you got the the, the, the spin off, the next cut. Then you have Beauty Shop. So it's it's a whole franchise that that does typify the authenticity that you want of Chicago in totally. movies. So final question here, Chance, and then we'll let you go. What's a current movie? Maybe maybe it's a recent movie. Maybe it's one that you just recently caught. We always ask our guests for a movie recommendation. As they say goodbye. So, besides Hot Rod and besides definitely Never Ever Bullworth, what is your movie recommendation for all of our catch up crew listeners?
2: All right, this is going to sound very corny, okay? Uh, I recently rewatched the Godfather series. Yeah. And I'm here to deliver a hot take that some people are not going to be ready for. The first Godfather is better than the second Godfather. Okay. And if you don't believe That's me, spicy. rewatch, rewatch them both, and I'll go farther than that to say that Vito Corleone is a much better Don than Michael was.
1: Okay. Next Godfather. time, I'm, next time I'm
2: on the show, please. I'll have a dissertation for you just to explain
1: it all. But re-watch please, it. please do. I do. I do a show on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes called Versus, and it's just matching up art and making it competitive. I'm writing an episode right now that is the Godfather franchise versus The Sopranos. Do you go Godfather? Are you team Godfather or are you team Sopranos? Which I'm going to be honest.
2: I was eight years old when The Sopranos was coming on TV. I actually never watched it. I tried to watch it twice. And this is probably going to make people not value my opinion as, as much, but fuck it, I don't care. I've never watched The Sopranos. I never watched The Wire. And I never watched Sex and the City. All of these HBO shows that came out in this like time when they were creating... Um, series, dramatic series that were, like, hour-long premium things. Like, I was, I was, like I said, I was eight or nine years old, so I didn't watch them. And then when you try and re-watch them, you know, there's always the pilot hump, like, trying to watch a fucking old show with it. and the <laughs> pilot is giving you 50,000 names and pieces of information that you don't want to care about. It's just tough. But, yeah, through and through, the Godfather series is possibly uh, – the greatest film series of all time and some and, and two the first two are the two of the greatest movies ever created. But again, just to stress this and hopefully it becomes a Twitter, you know, debate, the first the first Godfather is just a, a far better movie. It's obviously way more fucking streamlined. You don't have to go back and forth between two completely different stories the whole time. You don't have a callous Don that's just like making dumbass decisions all the time. And I love <laughs> Michael. I love Michael to death in the first movie. But in the second one, none of his decisions make sense. Uh, Robert De Niro's uh, Vito story is super anticlimactic. And it's just, it, it, uh, it tears off. And, and it's a great movie still. One of the greatest movies ever made. And to me, the greatest sequel after The Dark Knight. But it's a, uh, it, it, it pales in comparison to the first, to the first Godfather. You
1: guys got to rewatch the first Godfather. There it is. The Godfather. It's the hot rod of dramas, according to Chance the Rapper, who we really got <laughs> about five episodes worth of content out, out of this. This was so much fun to to talk movies, to talk music with you, and that everything in between. Again, the movie, the Chance the Rapper, self-funded, produced it himself, self-released. It had a great run here in the States, and now people around the world are going to get a chance to check out Magnificent Coloring World, and it is in the UK it's in Ireland and it's in Canada and going to more places soon September 10th is when it drops in those provinces slash countries congratulations on all the success of the movie it's been so much fun having you on the show come back whenever you want to chance you're always welcome At Rotten Tomatoes is wrong
2: absolutely will
1: thank you man and there you have it did I tell you all that the guy loves movies I mean like Chance the Rapper is a great name He might be Chance the Podcaster. He seems like he wants to be on this show just about every week. He might be coming for my job. And I'll be honest, I'd still listen to the show every week if I'm not on it, if I get to hear Chance and Jacqueline talk about movies, because he is passionate, he cares, he puts a lot of thought and detail into his opinions about, obviously, music, but also film, and once again, his movie is now opening in the UK, Ireland, and Canada on September 10th. Magnificent Coloring World, a concert experience unlike any other. Thanks to Chance the Rapper, and thanks again for being such a great sport and (laughs) just running the gamut of all different kinds of movies during that conversation. He was truly great to talk to, and I hope we have him back again soon. We love all of our guests and our members of the Ketchup Crew. That's our fans here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. So before we get out of here, we are going to turn it over to Mailbag. (laughs) Ah, I do love that Mailbag music. So this is from member of the Ketchup Crew, Two members, Kevin and Carla. All right. One of them talks and the other one dictates. I'm not sure how it works with Kevin and Carla, but here we go. We eagerly await each release and it's a morning listen on our boat as we're sailing the world. Kevin and Carla, give me a call next time. This week's episode on the holiday was enjoyed at anchor in Bocas del Toro, Panama. Ma? kevin and carla living the dream right now thanks for taking us at least our podcast along for the ride our suggestion for a movie comes from shared memories of it playing in the background when we were first dating miami vice which is not the movie i thought i'd say miami vice from 2006 is an amazing ride with great music and dark brooding scenes rotten tomatoes is so wrong with a score of 46 percent come on who isn't a I'm a fiend for mojitos. <laughs> Love the show, Kevin and Carla. P.S. Your Armageddon episode had us laughing. Having spent a number of years explaining technical terms to government and business leader, the it's the size of Texas, Mr. President line is exactly how you would explain the size of the asteroid to a president. And I believe the name of their ship, their boat is the SV Gargoyle. So if you're out there around Panama and you see the SV Gargoyle, give them a I don't know what, uh, uh, do they have horns on boats? I don't know how sailing works, Kevin and Carl, but I know you are doing a great job. Thank you again for your support of the show. Everybody who's out there listening right now, we love it when you email us. You can hit us up anytime. RT is wrong at rotten That's RT is wrong at rotten And you can also rate, review, subscribe, whatever your preferred podcast way of listening encourages you to do. We encourage you to do that. Our listenership is getting bigger and better every week. I imagine this one probably had some ears and eyes on it. So thank you for all your support to every member of our catch-up crew. That's going to do it for today's show. I miss Jacqueline, but I had a great time talking with Chance the Rapper. Thank you, producer Lucy and Brian Perez. And next week, ooh, this is going to be an exciting one because we're talking DCEU. You want to guess the movie? Aquaman starring Jason Momoa as the title character. You talk about a lot of people popping into Hot Rod. A lot of folks show up in Aquaman. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Aquaman? We're going to get into all that and more next week right here on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. For the whole gang here, I'm Mark Ellis. Jacqueline, come back soon, but enjoy Telluride. We'll talk to you next week.